I want the right to choose and control my health, and we see that generally as a self-evident right in BC. But not so if you're a First Nations person, and even less so if you are a First Nations female. Sacred and Strong is a recently published report from the First Nations Health Authority focused on the health and wellness of First Nations women and girls living in BC. The purpose of the report is to help women and girls reclaim First Nations teachings and protocols around birth, pregnancy, and mothering, empowering them as life givers and ensuring that that empowerment is restored. The report contains data from a wide range of sources. It encourages and embraces a holistic health approach, highlighting the many ways that First Nations women and girls can and are thriving. The report also lays bare systemic barriers that have created health inequities, along with steps to move beyond a hostile history in Canada. While encouraging or acknowledging, I'm sorry, the pain and suffering of treatment within the healthcare system in Canada, the report also shows the way forward. Sacred and Strong is about First Nations women and girls as the hearts of their communities and nations. The FNHA says these women and girls are the current and future matriarchs of their communities. They are the life givers, the grandmothers, mothers, aunties, sisters, and daughters who are vitally important caretakers of First Nations culture. They keep it alive and they keep their communities strong. They are and have always been both sacred and strong. I invited Dr. Shannon McDonald, the Acting Chief Health Officer of the First Nations Health Authority, to join me for a conversation that matters about developing supportive systems that are the roots of wellness that ensure healthy bodies, minds, and spirits of First Nation women and girls. Dr. McDonald, welcome. Why is this report so important and so important now? Some of the answer to that goes back a ways. About 10 or 12 years ago, there was a report about the health of First Nations women in BC. It was written by healthcare providers and epidemiologists and uh, public health doctors like myself, but it did not reflect the lives and reality of the women it was about. It was done to them, it was done about them, it wasn't done with them and for them. So in the interim period, FNHA has been created, has evolved, and came to time when this report had to be renewed and said, no, we need to do this differently. We need to do this with women, for women, so that they can open any page in this document and see themselves. It's not a technical document. It is a series of stories supported by statistics um, so that um, people can uh, use it in their lives uh, to make the change they need to make. Why is it so important that it be story-based? Well, that's really about the culture of the communities it reflects. The oral history of our communities is very, very strong. And even though there's lots of academic information sort of tucked into these stories, it's the stories themselves that have the real power, that tell us 
the status of health service delivery uh, to these women, the successes, the barriers, um, and the ways forward. Those all came from those stories. Um, and we're using them to build program uh, to support the women as we go forward. So what is the way forward? You know, I, I, in my introduction, I noted that there is a holistic approach. How important is that holistic approach um, in, in seeing a way that we are, I'm going to just step back just a little bit because I want to give you a little bit of a sense of my understanding of what a holistic approach means. Okay. To me, it means that we put the person at the center of their own well-being and then say, these are the resources that are available to you to ensure that you have the best possible health. Do, do I have that right? And, and if so, how important is that, especially as we try to empower uh, you know, women and girls in First Nations communities? You do have it right. Um, I think there's more elements to it than, than what you describe. Definitely the individual and the person at the center. But First Nations Health Authority is based on a perspective of wellness that not only puts people in the center, but recognizes that there are aspects of wellness, mental wellness, spiritual wellness, which is often ignored in uh, other health systems, um, emotional wellness, cognitive challenges that people might have that may get in the way, or that may, that may be the gift that they have to be able to move forward. In the context of family and community and environment, land, which is so, so important um, to First Nations people and communities, those are all elements of wellness. And to just look at an individual without reflecting all of those other factors in their wellness, it's an incomplete picture. So we want to make sure not only are there supports and services that deal with the physical wellness or the mental wellness of an individual, but that the environment in which they live and thrive um, is healthy as well. So how do we do that? How do we bring together what has now become sort of a mainstream uh, medical or allopathic model and then make it work with, within traditional First Nations uh, healings and uh, uh, ways of wellness? How do we bring those two together so that these women benefit? I think there's two things that are major changes, major shifts that we need to make. One is what I mentioned earlier, where systems are created to do for, to do at um, individuals, families, and communities, as opposed to um, taking all of those siloed programs, taking health, taking childcare, taking child and family services and other social services, employment, education, those are all pieces of that wellness picture. So instead of working in silos, and I've worked in government long enough, I know about silos, um, those silos can have major pathways and successes within that limited realm, limited mandate. We need to blow up those mandates and we need to understand that a family can't be well if there's no food security. A family can't be well if the kids can't get a decent education in a safe place that's culturally safe for them. Um, that 
rather than giving a foster parent thousands of dollars to care for a family of children, supporting the parents themselves, financially, socially, and in other ways, to give them the skills they need to parent their children. So there's there's a different way to turn that wheel um, from that sickness model and the deficit model that's so common when referring to First Nations people to a wellness model and a resilience model that, that recognizes the survival of First Nations people and cultures. And um, there really is a path forward. There is a path forward, but I can't help but also recognize that it's challenging because if we take a look at why so often First Nations communities were cut off from access to healthcare, many of them are in remote locations. There was not a, a, a willingness or desire to reach out. And we still have those communities that are in, in areas of the province that don't have easy access to the kind of opportunities that are going to allow people to experience that full breadth of, I guess, self-actualization that makes them feel well, that, uh, you know, encourages them to eat in certain ways and, and exercise all these elements that we know that are important to health. And so, as you say, we have to come at this not just from a health perspective, but also from the perspective of saying, how do we, you know, bring greater opportunity and prosperity to these communities? Is that possible? It's a it's a complex picture, absolutely. But there's a couple of things that are foundational to change. One of them is reflecting on the fact that the structures that provide all of these things were not built to advantage Indigenous people. They were built, created, supported, and continue to be supported to serve the majority of the non-Indigenous and non-BIPOC communities in Canada that there is privilege within all of those education, social services, health systems um, that is unfair um, and unwarranted. And I, mean, I, I worked for the federal government as a medical officer. Um, I've done fly-in only communities. Um, it's very, very challenging. We have some really heroic nurses that work in those places. Um, without a whole lot of clinical supports or um, other uh, resources around them, but it's not enough. Oh. And if, you know, we, during COVID, one of the structures that, that really fell apart is the primary care structure. People just, doctors shut their offices and went online. Um, so First Nations Health Authority developed the vir uh, Virtual Doctor of the Day program that allowed for physicians within the region that communities um, live um, to answer those virtual calls and um, be the alternative to face-to-face -face primary care in communities because those services just didn't exist, they disappeared. And what we found over time was that mental health and uh, other um, challenges in the community were really rising in the context of COVID, they had always been there at a problematic level. So the program added uh, supports in the mental health and substance use and addiction services area. A uh, program is developed with Perinatal Services BC to provide remote supports for uh, pregnant moms and um, new moms 
so that they got what they needed during that period of time because we were really worried that people that weren't getting the kinds of services they need put not only themselves but their children at risk as well. So, you know, where we could, we've stepped in, but those shouldn't be emergent or urgent situations. It should be what can we do differently to make this an equitable uh, situation. Right. So when you talk about those, they, those shouldn't be urgent or emergent uh, uh, situations, um, because in those, uh, I guess, interactions, you're bringing sort of an acute care model to what is something that is more systemic, has longer term implications, when in fact what you want to be doing is working with people to help them take ownership of their own wellness. And, and, and build upon that. And I think that this is what you're talking about, being able to create that environment that says, we're here to support you. And in doing so, you feel better and, and the community benefits as well. Do, you know, am I paraphrasing that correctly? It sounds idealistic, but it is possible. And I think the other thing that, that we need to think about when we're doing this work is, how I define my wellness may not be how you define your wellness. Should the woman of my certain age um, in a remote community who has hunted and fished and gathered uh, the majority of food for her family for winter not have the supports to enable her to do that in the same way that somebody gets money to go to a grocery store in the South? Those, you know, the, the pieces that are valuable um, to individuals and families and communities may not be the same things that those of us in the South value or those of us from a privileged, educated community value. It's a very different piece of work. If cultural values are the primary interest, COVID has been a disaster because people have not been able to gather. Ceremonies have not been able to happen. And people are feeling eroded by that. You know, the naming ceremonies that we talk about in the report um, are very important to, to women as they transition from girls to women. If you don't have the opportunity to do that with the teachings that go with it, there's a huge gap in somebody's development. And, and we want to be able to support communities to, to have that knowledge exchange so that the knowledge users and the language keepers uh, can fully participate in the community and teach the youth so that there is a continuity of, of life and culture as we move forward. You know, I, I can't help but go, okay, so what's my own relationship with the healthcare system? I don't, I don't interact with it very often, but I know that it's there. But I, but I, and, and the reason that I ask this question is I go, okay, for me to be as healthy as possible, I have to take some ownership of that. But I also have mm -hmm. to know that the resources that I need when I need them will be there. Uh, and, and so I, I'm happy to hear that we were able to move through COVID, maybe one of the positive outcomes is that there might be easier access to healthcare providers so that somebody can say, look, I got a problem or I'm, I'm struggling with this. How do I, how do I, how do I deal with it? I, I think that the, it's this interesting, you know, ability to know that the resource is there, that it's accessible and it will provide me with the guidance that I need to once again, take ownership of my own well-being. And is that what, what we envision for, you know, First Nations women and girls? 
there's another layer to that that you're missing. And it's the, when I go to the door to receive those services, I will be treated with respect. I won't be treated in a racist way. I will get equivalent resources and, and service to uh, other people that are there. And we know from the In Plain Sight report that uh, Dr. Uh, Trapella-Fond released a year ago um, that that isn't always the case. So it's more than having a resource out there somewhere. It's I can safely and effectively use that resource to support me in my journey towards health. So then this report isn't just directed at uh, First Nations women and girls. It's directed towards everybody who's within the healthcare system to say, we're in this together. We're in this together, but our women are in charge. Because I think that's also another piece. And again, you know, the do for, um, perceive a need and fill it, come running to fill it, be the heroes. That isn't necessarily the way this is going to move forward in the best way. First Nations Health Authority is the only one of its kind in Canada. We've only been around for 13 years. We've been evolving consistently since in areas like primary care, where the federal government never used to play a role. So there is, there is a lot of work being done so that this, this groundswell of self-determination and strength and resilience can come to the fore and be a partner to those healthcare system um, services and professionals um, at, at an equal playing field. And the, the voices have the same validity, um, not just the technical uh, language and information and data, which is a big part of my training and my role, but um, what does that mean to the people in community? What what are they going to do with it? Um, and how do we provide it to them in a way that they understand uh, what it is, how it can be used, and what it is as a tool uh, to move towards wellness for them and their community? I have to tell you that last night I was at an event that focused on complementary and alternative uh, medicine, CAM, yeah. uh, therapies and treatments. and. One of the interesting elements that came out of this is this growth out of CAM to maybe to sim, you know, complementary and integrative medicine. But two or three times in this panel discussion that I was moderating, the, the element of spirituality, spiritualism, mm -hmm. our relationship to not just ourselves, but our communities and the world as a whole plays a really important role. And I think that, uh, you know, when I think about First Nations uh, health and wellness, I know there is this very strong connection to the earth and, you know, spirituality. How important is it that, that you know, that women and girls understand the value of this to them and that the medical community will also appreciate and accept that this is an important part of their well-being. Different indigenous cultures across the country talk about this differently, but probably the common elements we hear about most are the connection to land. And we've been doing some work uh, with our communities in trying to better define that, to turn it into an indicator we can measure success with. Um, and water. The one of the traditional roles of women in communities was as the water keepers. 
um, and understanding through ceremony and through uh, utilization of the water appropriately and protecting it, um, those were really critical roles in the wellness of, of communities. Those are elements that are intrinsic to our way of knowing and being um, as Indigenous people. And you can't weave, weave that out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, um, my grandmother used to talk about it as, as threads in a blanket. There are things in our lives that are, are so intertwined, you can't pull them apart um, and, and still have integrity. So, you know, you can, you can make it into a big pile of thread, but then it loses the integrity of what it is. And I think we, we want to honor that spiritual element, support people in doing what they need to do to learn about it for themselves and to protect it. Um, and to share it with each other. Um, and those are huge. And when I talked about, you know, COVID impacting ceremony, for many, many years, traditional ceremonies were outlawed. Um, materials from the potlatch were stolen um, and made a whole bunch of people rich as art artifacts. Um, but that's not what they are. And that's not what potlatch was. It was... Um, an opportunity for a community to come together in prayer with drum and song and uh, dancing uh, to tell stories, to use the language and to celebrate that spirituality. And in the big houses, there's no floors. You always dance with your feet on Mother Earth. Those are always really important elements to all of this. And it's not entertainment. It's not uh, a party. It is a prayer. It is a spiritual event. So it's it's really hard for people who have not had that knowledge or experience to understand sometimes. But um, we have to allow people to develop that spiritual side of themselves in their wellness journey. Well, I uh, appreciate the report. I appreciate the work that you're doing. And I hope that it is going to help empower women and girls in First Nations communities to uh, you know, have the best possible health co- outcomes for themselves. Thank you for your time today and in sharing this, you know, very important, these very important insights. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.